the parsha. I hope everybody had a wonderful Hanukkah, and that now it's not going to be less wonderful. I guess I was looking on the wrong side of the road. He said Karim. It's Hanukkah now, not Purim. What are you yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're mixed up. You're not mixed up. Okay. What are you dressed up as? I just came from a Hachnasat Sefer Of course, I would have guessed that in a minute. <laughs> I always wear the same thing when I go to Hachnasat If you were directing the traffic, you'd have to. Okay, okay. <laughs> Let's leave it up to here. Up to here was funny, right? Yeah, okay. we're ahead. No, no, you quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> okay. This is an old discussion Avram and I have had for many years. Like, who's really, who's really funny, you know? That. Okay, the name of the parish is Vayigash. If you look at the sheet, towards the bar, uh, at uh, at the top, at the top, is it Vayigash? Yes. Pasuk, you see Pasuk Yudchet, the top, not the first Pasuk. Vayigash, I love Yehuda. Vayigash, I love Yehuda. Those words, those words describe one of the most dramatic moments in the Torah. Actually dramatic. Because something happens at this time. I mean, it's not written in the words. But sometimes, even though we may not be so sensitive in general, it's very hard not to see this story as a metaphor. As Chazal did see it as a metaphor. The metaphor of establishing kingship in Yisrael. It's a metaphor, even though the psukim are not about that. But there's no possibility for us to avoid that reading. You don't have to be a poet or super sensitive to understand that there's something going on that is not being described. So we start at the, at the top, at the end of last week's parasha. At the last, at the end of last week's parasha, pasuk Yudalit, by Yevo Yehuda ve'echav, Yehuda ve'echav, right? You see that Yehuda has already taken the lead somehow, because it could, it could uh, the pasuk could have said, they all came. What is Yehuda? How did Yehuda get special notification? They came back to the house of Yosef and they bowed down to him. Right, so you know, they the brothers led by Yehuda are bowing down again to Yosef. Right, the dream. That's the dream that Yosef had that started the story of Yosef and his brothers, right? The sun and the moon and the stars, they're all bowing down. And in case you didn't know what that meant, so Yaakov at that time interprets it for you. You mean we're all going to come and bow down to you in case you didn't understand, you, we, I mean the reader, the learner, 
didn't understand what Yosef was dreaming. So Yaakov handily explains it to us, and here it is. Here it is, it happens. It happens by Yiplulifanav Arza. They fell down and, and, uh, uh, and uh, they were on the ground. Yosef. And Yosef says, and they don't know that he's Yosef yet. What have you done? Now you know what they did. They did nothing. But Yosef arranged to have the money that they paid for the food that they bought put back into the sacks of food that they were taking with them. Except that in the sack of Binyamin there was also a gavia. A gavia. A gavia is, I don't know. I don't know what a gavia is, but suddenly, I mean, it's a goblet. But I don't know exactly what a goblet is. I always imagined the Vikings with the goblets. I, mean, I guess they didn't have knives or forks, so they just ate out of goblets. But uh, I don't know, like, if in my house, if I had to bring out a goblet, I'm not sure I could do it. But let's say we will we'll make believe, right? Usually that's what we do, right? What words, we sort of make believe we know what they mean. Even though being hard pressed, we kind of lose it. So he says, Listen to this phrase. He says, You should have known because you knew something about me. What did you know about me? Yosef said, you know that I organized this whole business with seven years of bad good and seven years of bad and I'm in charge. You should have known that they, after all, this was all based on my ability to interpret dreams. So, I can interpret the dream, Ish Asher Kamoni. Ish. Ish. A unique person, just like I am a unique person. If you look at, at Rashi, Rashi says, important person such as I he says I can, I can divine things so you should have been afraid of stealing because I'm the kind of person who knows things I divine things. I have, I have that reputation. So Yosef is playing them. Of course it's, it, he's not like that. Of course he put the stuff in their sacks. Of course that's the reason that he knew about what had happened. But he's playing around with them. Yehuda. He answers. All the brothers are standing there dumbfounded. Yehuda speaks so that Yehuda is certainly at this time designated or designated himself as the leader in the family. What can we say? We justify ourselves. God has discovered our transgression we are slaves to 
our master גם אנחנו גם אשר נמצא גביע בידו all of us and בנימין Yehuda must have intuited, must have understood that this had something to do with Binyamin. Something to do with Binyamin. I mean, of course, the Gavir was found in his sack, but that doesn't explain whether it was an accidental thing, you know, that somebody just put it in that sack, or it was purposely put in that sack. But here, again, Yehuda is not clear, not clear to him. It's not clear to him. Him. Okay, we'll skip, skip the Rashi. We'll go to the next Pasuk. We'll go to the next Pasuk. I would never do such a thing, Yehuda said. Uh, what, I'm sorry, Khalilali is Yosef. Yosef says, Khalil Ali Masodzot. Haisha Shedim Tsaga Via Viado, Huye Li Eved Vatema Lula Shalom Alabichem, an unsuspected result. An unsuspected result, which puts Yehuda into a very bad situation. Because Yehuda, after all, promised his father that he would bring Binyamin back. And now, instead of all of them getting arrested, all of them together getting arrested, which Yehuda might have thought would have been negotiable somehow. Take half of them, take a third of them. Yehuda thought still he might be able to live up to the promise that he made. The promise that he made was, I will bring Binyamin back. Along comes Yosef and says, you could all go, just keep Binyamin here. I mean, he, he said it in a different way. He said, the one who, in whose sack I found this gavia. Him, he's the one who's going to stay and become enslaved to me. So the world crashes in on Yehuda. The world crashes in on Yehuda because Yehuda felt before he left the house of his father with Binyamin that he would be able to return with Binyamin in tow, that he would be able to pull it off, that he would be able to, he would be successful and in fact the only problem they had was Shimon who remained behind locked up someplace Apparently he had a good deal, Shimon, also while he was a, while they were all away. But now it's over. Yehuda feels, must feel that that there's just no hope. There's no hope for him. There's no hope for him because the Arvut, the surety that Yehuda gave to his father were his own children. So he can't stay and he can't leave. He can't stay because the king said to him, Atem, alul shalom go in peace, like, he's a, like it's always a comedy. Yosef, still unknown to the brothers, says to Yehuda, Atem, you all of you, alul shalom el avichem, go in peace to your father. Yehuda is sitting there, he says, peace? Go in peace. I'm going to be. I'm going to be in peace when I get back to my father. It'll be worse than it is now. That's the worst thing I can even I can even uh, imagine. And from this tragic moment for Yehuda, who has emerged almost as being an unsuccessful leader, 
a person who created more difficulty than existed before he took the role of leader. Right before he took the from that point, Yehuda comes along and says the following. Right, pasuk yudchet, vayigash elav Yehuda. You know they said they built the gold and said the ta'amim. You know the cantillation marks. Ta'amim is comes out nicer. Ta'amim trop is is a thing like this and a thing like that at a. At a Kadma v'azla rivi'i. That's what they call this and this are called kadma v'azla, and the diamond-shaped thing is called a rivi'i. So kadma v'azla rivi'i in Hebrew means amad v'halach harivi'i. Rivi'i, of course, is Yehuda. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. So he says. I mean, I'm not sure, it's, there's a remez, or there's a lesson to be learned, that you could learn something from the ta'amin. It's a little difficult for us, we're sort of like out of practice with that, but, uh, but the Gaon thought that, that the ta'amin were meaningful. Vayigash elav Yehuda, this is what the Pasuk says, Vayomer, be adoni, be adoni means please, be, I beseech you. Beseech is not a good position. It's not a good negotiating position. It sort of announces that you, will, you know you're going to lose. That you are going to lose. Vayoma bi Adoni yedaberna avdecha davar ba'aznei Adoni. I would like to speak to you, to your ears. I'd like to speak to you in private. And do not get angry with me, with your servant. Uh, you see the Rashi? My words, Rashi said, should go into your ears. I guess into your brain as well. Al yichar apcha. Do not get angry. Mikan ata lamed shediber elav kashot. So Rashi changes the, the simple meaning. Al yichar apcha. You see the pasuk? Vayigash elav Yehuda. Pasuk yudchet. Vayom abi adoni. And then, don't get angry with me. Don't get angry at me. So that Rashi says, From here you learn that Yehuda spoke uh, harshly with Yosef. In other words, according to Rashi, Yehuda's recovering ground. Yehuda was at the bottom, right? It was all over for Yehuda because the king wanted to keep Benjamin, send everybody else home. That was sort of the end of any notion of leadership that Yehuda could muster up. But here, according to Rashi, Rashi has an opening here because the, the Hebrew words, al yichar abdecha, do not get angry at me. So what do they mean? So they could mean don't be angry with me that I'm even saying something. 
that I'm, I'm going to disagree with the king's decision. Don't get angry at me for being uh, uh, unacceptable, so to speak, for being wrong. So Rashi says, He chose to speak harshly with Yosef. Rashi says, he says, because I think, even though I'm going to be, I'm going to be very tough in what I say, I, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you because you are the king. You are like a king in my eyes. Okay, I mean, we'll come back to it in a minute. If you really annoy me, I'm going to kill you. I will kill you and I will kill Paro. In other words, what Rashi wants to say, what Rashi wants to say is that these words that Yehuda said, don't be angry. Don't get angry at, at, at me. Don't get angry at me. Those words... Uh, uh, they seem to contradict each other. Do not get angry at me when I tell you what I'm going to tell you because you're like Paro. There's something, it's something a dissonance. So Rashi changes it in the, in the Dabar Acher. Rashi says, do not get angry. Don't be angry about what I'm going to say to you now. Because if you do get angry, I'm going to wipe you out. If it was a Rashi, Rashi is, is reflecting something about Yehuda. Something that's not clear. That Yehuda is going to go through a recovery. He was down in the dumps. His leadership was nullified by, by Yosef. He was not able to produce the result that he wanted to produce. And suddenly, he is going to recover. And that's, that's those words. You asked, do I have a father? Do I have a brother? So, so I, we told you everything. We told you about our father and about our dead brother and about our living younger brother. We told you all of the, all of the things you asked us about. And you told us to bring him to you and I will look at him. Asima Einai Eini Alav. Vanomer El Pasukabet. Vanomer El Adonilo Yuchala Narla Zovetaviva Zavtaviva Mate. And we told you that we're not going to be able to do that. Because his father would never allow it. His father Yaakov would never allow us to take Binyamin 
away from him, Vatomela Vadechem, Lo Yereda Chishema Katon, Itchem, Loto Sifulir Ot Panai. If you don't bring Binyamin, the younger brother, then don't come back at all. Don't come back. It's something that was a terrible, terrible because there was still a famine going on and they had to buy, they had to buy food. Vayihi, Yehuda, speaking. Ki alinu el avdecha avi. Veragedlo et divrei adoni. We went up to our father. We told him this story. Vayomer avinu. Shuvu. Go back and buy the food that we need. This is a story that Yehuda is telling Yosef. He doesn't know who Yosef is. He doesn't know that Yosef is connected to him. He's revealing the whole story that took place. And he says to his father, I, we can't go back to Egypt to buy food unless Binyamin comes with us. By Yomer Avdecha Avi and our father, your servant, said to us, Elenu, Atem Yidatem Kishnayim Yaldali Ishti. Two sons were born to me of my wife, my wife meaning Rachel. Pasuk Avchet Vayitzei Achad Meiti Vama Avtarof Toraf Velor Itiv Adheina. One of them disappeared. Omar, ach tarof toraf, ach tarof toraf. What a thing to say. Uh, just one second. They say, ach tarof toraf. He's probably been he's probably been eaten up by some wild animals. Belori Itiv Adheina. And I never saw him again. Referring to Yosef. Ulekachtem Gametzemi Impana, you gotta take this one as well. Vikarahu Ason, Varadetemetseva Tibira Ashaola. And you're gonna take this son Binyamin also, and I will die. Uh, 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 on my way to some sort of hell, Lamed pasuk Lamed vata kivoi elavdecha avi v'hanaar einenu itanu v'nafshok shurabik nafshok. I go back to my father, and I don't have Binyamin with with him, and he's like he's uh, totally involved with him. Nafshok shurabik nafshok. They're in love, in the way fathers and sons might be, might be in love. V'haya, kir otok yeinanar v'meit, v'horidu avadecha tseivat, avdecha avinu biyagon she'ola. V'haya, kir otok yeinanar v'meit, he sees that Binyamin is not with us, he would die. And, and this will cause a terrible death. Terrible. I guaranteed him. I told my father, If I don't bring him back, then I will have sinned to my father forever. 
ישבנה עבדך תחת הנער, עבד לאדוני, והנער יעל עם אחיו. And therefore, because of all that I've told you, I beg you, the king, I should take the place of this young man, Eved Ladoni. I will be a slave to the king. And let the young boy, Binyamin, go up with his brothers. The last passage in this section. How can I do this? Here's Yehuda talking to Yosef. He says, How will I be able to go to my father alone? And I don't have Binyamin with me. Pener Eber Ashayim Tzayedavi. I will then, you know, be subject to seeing the terrible result to my father. So here you have Yehuda. You, ha- you have to be. You have to wonder at what could have been going through his mind. He has to make a claim. He has to say to. Has to say to Yosef, right, King, King of Egypt that would convince him, convince Yosef, the king of Egypt, to let Binyamin go. After, in the most kingly way imaginable, he's already decided that Binyamin will be responsible for the gavia that was found in his sack. So what does Yehuda go to you? What was his argument? What is argument? You know, when Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to argue that Hakadosh Baruch Hu should save, Hakadosh Baruch Hu should save B'nai Yisrael after the Chayta Egel, he said, "Lama Yomru Agoyim." He says, "You know, it'll be a setback for for belief, for monotheistic belief. It'll be a setback." He says, "Hakadosh Baruch Hu, when you want that." He, he made an argument, he made an argument which is hard for us to understand, but he didn't say, oh, you know, I've got a lot of our relatives in the Jewish people, and the, the three of them are nice guys, and, uh, and here's, here's Yehuda, what's his argument to Yosef? He said, well, you know, it's going to be by tragedy. Like, what's the Havamir? People like to say that. What's the assumption that Yehuda was saying things that might be acceptable to Yosef. What was the Havam in it? What was, why did Yosef think that if he tells him the story about his father, he's an old man, and then there's a brother, and there's another brother, and this one is gone, and that one is gone, and, and, and what happened, happened, and he's been in Avelut for many years since, the, since Yosef disappeared. Why did Yehuda think that there was a reason. And then, Perik Memhe. You see Perik Memhe? Another mystery. Lo yachol Yosef litapek v'chol anitzavim alav. It worked. It worked. 
Yosef, Yehuda's argument against Yosef's decision to punish the person in whose sack the Gavir was found, which sounds to us perfectly reasonable from a monarchical point of view. Maybe not, you know, we don't know exactly how it worked. What was the punishment for this Avera or that Avera? But I understand that Yosef was a nice guy. He said, the king will punish the person who's responsible. Now the people go free. What was so terrible of that? But then it says, Lo yechol Yosef People standing straight and tough and hard and not moving. Get everybody out of the room. And no other person was with him. So he got rid of all the Egyptians, all the people who were with him. You know, I mean, a king is only a king because he got a lot of people walking around with him. Rashi says, see at the bottom of the page, Lo Yechal Yosef Litapek Lekol Anisavim Lo Hayu Yechol Lo Haya Yechol Lisbol Sheyu Mitzrayim Nitzavim Alav Mitzrim He could not suffer the fact that the Egyptians were standing kind of over them. Vishomim Shechav Mitbaishin Behodao Lohem Behodao Lohem He he didn't want he didn't want the Egyptians to hear when he confesses to them who, who he really is. He didn't want them to hear the confession. But this idea, you see the go back to the Pasuk. Litapek. What does that mean? That all this time he's holding it in. You know, when somebody holds something in, if you're sensitive to that person you know that he's holding something in. You know that there's some... This, this lingo in the Pasuk, Lo Yechol Yosef Litapek, Lechol Anisei couldn't... He just couldn't take it to have all these Egyptians running around and taking care of things and being in charge of everything. Lo Yechol Litapek. So I say Litapek means to be under control, to, to kind of play the game. He quite he just couldn't do it anymore. He Yosef couldn't do it anymore. If Yosef couldn't do it, then somebody who was sensitive might have known something was wrong. And so it seems to me that that's the story of Yehuda. Yehuda was not telling the story because it's a story. He wasn't telling the story because he had nothing else to do and no argument to make. He told the story because he suspected that it would tear at the heartstrings of the person he was looking at. He wasn't sure. He was not sure that it was Yosef, but he felt strongly that it was. He felt strongly that it was. And therefore, Pasuk Bet, Vaitenet Kolo and Yosef started crying. And you know that crying is like, like a very extreme emotion. People break down and cry. And before they actually break down and cry, people. So they, they, they're sort of on their way to breaking down and crying. They, they suffer emotional upset and tension, which ends with bursting into crying. 
So again, Yehuda is vindicated. He started crying. And the Egyptians heard him crying. It was really a, a magisteral cry. It was something awful. And Yosef admitted it to his brothers. Only he and his brothers are in the room. Ha'od Avichai. Ha'od Avichai. Is my father still alive? Because that question was not answered by Yehuda when he told the story. So you see two different reactions. Two different reactions. Ava and Yira. Right? Ava and Yira. Ava, love, expressed by Yosef, being able to identify himself, to stop carrying on this this imagined conversation between Yosef and his brothers. So he cried. He cried. Crying is, is a, a, an emotion whose source is love. Whereas the brothers, the brothers, lo yechlu echav la'anodoto ki nivhalu bipanav, nivhalu, behala, fright. They were frightened. That's Yira. That's Yira. So that, that you see that the, 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 two, the two groups, Yosef on the one hand and the brothers on the other hand, saw reality at this moment, at the first moment. Instead of them being so happy. I mean, you think the brothers would say, we're saved. It's Yosef. It's our brother. We can negotiate. We'll do something. We'll talk to him. But the fear in them the fear in them came from the fact that they knew that they had done something wrong. And even though, even though, Yosef says to them, Yosef even though Yosef says, come close to me. Again, So what did that mean? I am Yosef who you sold into, into Mitzrayim. Yosef is trying to give them a kind of a, a shortcut to understanding how it could be. How could it be that this is Yosef? He says, well, you sold me to Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim, whatever happened, whatever happened, happened. And so he says, don't worry. Yosef realized that they were in fear totally frightened about what he might do. But he says, don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. Don't be frightened. Because, because it's God's will. But they, but they being who they were, they said, uh, <laughs> It will be another five years to the end. God sent me here. God sent me here to make sure that there would be food, that you would be able to live and to exist. Again, at a theological position, a clear theological position. Don't think that you sent me here. It was God. 
I'm the God made me into what I am. Pasuk Tet. Maharuva alu el aviva matame love ko amar bincha yosef samani elokim la don the kol mitzrayim redai lai al tamod go quickly get my father don't stand there right pasuk yud v'yashavta b'eretz goshen v'ayit kerove lai ata uvanecha b'nei banecha right okay so so the brothers the brothers are afraid because they know that. Or they feel that Yosef is is fooling them. That Yosef is fooling them about a certain point, and that point is, as we'll see, as you see later on, when they again discuss it with their father, with that Yosef says, "Don't worry, it was all all a heavenly decision." But the brothers say, "Look, uh, God would have gotten Yosef to Mitzrayim in any event. We didn't have to do what we did." We didn't have to try to kill him, and we didn't have to try to sell him, and we didn't try to have to lie to, to, the, to his father. So that, that clearly Yosef does not, does not satisfy them. That does, Yosef does not satisfy them. But if we get to you back to Yehuda, and Yehuda is the subject of our discussion here tonight, I would say, I would say that Yehuda had an inkling of what was going on. And that's why he told the story about the father and the brothers and Canaan and, and, and the fact that, that the father would die if he lost, if he felt that he lost Binyamin after, after, losing, after losing Yosef, right? And then the distinction between Yehuda and the other brothers, or maybe Yehuda and the brothers, this, this Ava Vira tension between Yosef, who was willing to express Ava towards his brothers, assuming that, that he had to get to where he got to, and that was kind of divinely oriented, as the brothers related with Yira, with fear, because the brothers did not understand uh, why they had to be the way they were. How did they expiate kind of the wickedness that they, that they exhibited? Now, in order to see a, a somewhat different take on it, I want to look, learn with you, if I can, the pre-tzaddik. Turn the page. Turn the page. I just put, if you look at the second posseg on the second page, you remember Vayomer Yehuda. Right, but Yom Yehuda lechav, ma betza ki naroged achinu chisinu et damo. It's hard to know whether Yehuda came out well from this story. Those the brothers wanted to throw him and leave him in a pit, which kind of implied that he would eventually die, one way or the other. Right, either because Chazal said aborek eibo ma'im aval lechashim va'akrabim yeshbo. That's the that's the interpretation that Chazal gave. But even if there were no Nechashim and Akrabim, how long could he live alone in a pit? So they really left him to die. Even though, as the, all the Rishonim point out, they didn't, they didn't do the act of murder. It was like a de facto murder. Because when they left him, he was alive. But along came Yehuda, and Yehuda said, Mabetza. Mabetza, he said, Where's the prophet? Here's Yehuda. He's thinking straight about things. 
we have Yosef, we want to get rid of him, why not get rid of him and make money at the same time? So Mabetza, that's what it means, where's the money? We just kill him and cover him up. Let's sell him to the Yishmaelim. We should not actively do him in. I mean, you know, it's like saying, we, we're going to do away with this guy, but we're going to be polite about it. We're not going to, we'll, we'll make a little money, we'll give him to the Ishmaelim, and who knows what, how it will all end up. So that's Yehuda. So I would not say that at this point Yehuda became uh, remarkably, you know, remarkable in his leadership qualities, even though he took the leadership role. There is a leadership role that Yehuda undertook when he, when he suggested that they sell that they sell the uh, Yosef. Okay, let's look at the pre-tzadik. You see at the bottom of the page? Oh, the pre-tzadik. Lavid inyan So why does it say vayigashe lav? Yehuda, mano adoni. He already was speaking to him. That all the brothers will be slaves. It's only after Yosef told Yehuda that only the one son who who had the gavia is going to be a slave. She says, Nigash Bitochachot Kamalze. He came, Yehuda, and started speaking harshly to Yosef. Vieshlomar Baze Dehine Kashen in Sahagavia Biyadam. When they found this goblet, Vaya Mishpat Alpiti Nehem Sheyukulam Avadim. And according to the rule of Egyptian law, it probably was true that they should all have become slaves. Right? That's what that's what they said themselves that that we'll all become slaves. understood himself. L'shalem lahem kefi midatam shemachru et Yosef leeved vavur zeh hitzdik al nafsham sheukulam avadim gam binyamin agam shehu lo hayabim chirato. So that's why why Yehuda at first when they all thought that they would all become slaves, then Yehuda was not opposed. He didn't say anything because he knew that they deserved to be punished for what they did to Yosef. I'm in the fifth line, the, the last third of the line. And we know that if you learn the Rambam, because Chuba, you know that that if you have a city or if you have a state and, and most of the people are either righteous or, 
or uh, wicked, so they they will be judged as an entity. Right? The righteous, the, the place where there's mostly righteous people will be rewarded. The place where there's mostly wicked people will be will be uh, uh, punished. And Binyamin is included even though he wasn't there when they sold Yosef. And Reuven is also included even though he, remember, he wasn't there. And they thought that this is God's will. Amnam Kasher Amar Lahem Yosef Sherak Binyamin Ye Eved Az Net Yashev Yehuda Belibo Shezeloba Mitzad Onesh Shelhamechira Rak Shezeba at Smoshinimkar Yosef Levit Minashamayim Nisbazba. It happened because of God's will. Kudesha Yit Kayem Al Yede Gizerat Bein Abitarim. So, so if you look back, if you look back at the at the text that we went through, uh, the first part, the first part, right? The second pasuk, pasuk tet yud tezvav. Vayobel lahem Yosef ma'amaseh azar shasitem halo yedatem ki inachesh inachesh isha shekamoni. Vayomi Yehuda mano maladoni mani daber mani tzedak alim matzad avon avadecha hinenu avadim ladoni. So he says that Yehuda, Yehuda in discussing the situation with Yosef, at first was certain that the brothers would all become slaves, they would all be punished for the trans, supposed transgression of Binyamin. So when that was the case, when, when the, he thought that that would be the result, so he thought to himself that uh, this is God's way of dealing with the fact that they sold Yosef to Mitzrayim. But when Yosef changed that and he said to them, Binyamin alone will be, will be punished, he knew that that was not the case. It was not... It was not because they sold Yosef into Mitzrayim, but it was rather because, uh, as the the, the Prisadic says, let's say it. 
uh, again, the the uh, the sixth line. He thought that God had engineered this. When Yosef said, it happened through Yosef that this Brit Ben Abitarim was going to be fulfilled. it was cold in the in the winter and hot in the summer and Yaakov when he came back to Eretz Yisrael wanted which meant which meant that the Galut had already taken place right so again so according to according to the pre-tzaddik, I'm sorry that, uh, that when I when I when I learned it, it's a different page. In the book, it's a different page. This is how it looks from the Barilan. So so anyway, what I what I wanted to want you to understand is that according to the according to the pre-tzaddik, Yehuda was was trying to assess the situation, but Yehuda knew that it was Yosef. He knew all the time that it was Yosef. The Kritzai doesn't explain this how he knew it was it was Yosef. How he knew it was Yosef. But my feeling is that the remes, the hint that Yehuda knew that it was Yosef was in him telling the story, trying to generate sympathy for himself in his relationship to his father, something which is totally irrelevant in the court of the Egyptian potentate. I mean, why would he say such a thing? Unless he knew or he suspected that it was it was uh, uh, Yosef. Furthermore, according to the pre-Sadic, Yehuda tried to assess. He tried to assess what was going on. Was this the avdut, the slavery that was promised to Avram Avinu in the Brit Ben Abitarim? That the Hakadosh Baruch said to Avram Avinu, "You'll be four hundred years of being enslaved in Egypt," without explaining why. Why this was a necessary part of the development of, of Am Yisrael? We don't know why. I mean, the, the 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 Torah doesn't tell us why. You could speculate on why that might be might be the case. So was this this idea that Yosef was trying to get everybody to come to Mitzrayim? Was it the beginning of slavery, or was it the end of the freedom of the brothers? What was going on? Was it that the brothers were going to be punished by a divine surrogate who looked like the king of Egypt? 
was the divine surrogate, was the divine surrogate, really Yosef, who was trying to fulfill the prophecy of Brit Ben Habitarim, which was given to, which was given to Avram, Avram Avinu. In either case, in either case, you have to say that Yehuda, Yehuda's sense of, of reality surpassed anybody else's in that group. That only Yehuda understood that something special was going on. And in the second source, the second, uh, the, that pasuk at the bottom, lo yuchal yosef litapek, right? No, I'm sorry, the pasuk yudchet, vayigash elav Yehuda. So the, the, uh, uh, the presidic says, what do you mean vayigash elav Yehuda? You don't do that to a king. You don't just walk up, up to a king. You have to have permission. You have permission to come close. It's the king who asks you to come close. It's not the petitioner that approaches the king. Right? It's like, it's like in the bank, you know, there's that red line on the floor. Do not pass the red line unless it's your turn. Or in Kupat Cholim, they have that now. Everybody has a red line. Sometimes it's not red, but it's a red line. So, so, uh, so you, you always need permission to go forward, because who are you? Who are you? Vayigashe love Yehuda. Right, Yehuda is taking charge. And you remember that strange interpretation of Rashi. Right, don't get angry, because I'm in charge. And if you do get angry, I might do you in. I might kill you and kill your father just to get you to keep quiet. So this, you know, even though it's kind of a remarkable interpretation, I mean, it doesn't seem to connect to what we're really uh, saying. Nevertheless, it reflects the notion that Yehuda looked at Yosef and said, you know, really, I'm the king. I'm the king of the family. And you're not the king of the family. And that's what brings us to another question which we won't discuss tonight. And that is why, in fact, didn't Yosef become the king of the family? It's true. It's true that he sort of got Pishnayim. Sort of. The Ramban points out that the inheritance in Eretz Yisrael was given out per family. And per family meant that whether you called it Ephraim and Menashe or you called it Yosef, you ended up with the same amount of territory. There's no, there's no difference. It was if, if the land of Eretz Canaan was given out to the conquerors of Canaan per family, each family got four dunam. That's good, right? No? A half a dunam. That's Israel. Each family got a half a dunam. So that means that the sacha kol of the land allotted to a tribe in Menashe would be exactly the same as if they were one tribe called Yosef. So the, the, the Ramban comes up with a curious solution and he says, yes, but they had different flags. Would you call them by a different name? So you have to think about that. You know, they, instead of being called Yosef, they called the tribe in Menashe. And they received a special blessing from Yaakov. See the special blessing. So the question that remains, that remains, not for this parasha, but for maybe the next parasha, is why, in fact, did, uh, 
Did Yosef lose it? Or why? I mean, he was acting his entire life like a king. But he didn't get the kingship of Israel. That was passed to Yehuda. And here in their con confrontation, at least the seed in Rashi, that Rashi said, <coughs> was sensitive to it. He wouldn't have put it in. He would not have put in this Chazal if he didn't think it reflected somehow the reality. And the Chazal says, you better keep quiet, Yosef, or else I'll knock you off and I'll knock your father off. Now that is a remarkable thing to put into the commentary based on the simple reading. But I would say that if Rashi put that in, it might be, uh, well, I'll take it back, it might be, it might be because Rashi saw Yehuda acting with strength against the imposing figure of, of Yosef so that Yehuda who knew or suspected that there was something going on, as the pre-Sadik really implies, that there was something going on, meaning that he knew that, that this figure standing there was actually Yosef. And the lawyer called it tapeko, and you say that Yosef couldn't control himself, it's because he was letting on, he was, he was losing it. He was losing his, his cover, so to speak. So that's lawyer called it tapeko. They chased the Egyptians out of the room because they didn't want them to see what would happen. And then he tried to explain to the brothers, unsuccessfully apparently, that he bore them no malice because it was all part of God's plan. But the brothers understood that even though it might have been part of God's plan, they didn't have to do what they did. The plan would have been executed in any event. I mean, they would have gotten to Mitzrayim. They would have become slaves. They would have done what had to happen. They didn't have to try to kill Yosef, then sell him as a slave to the Ishmaelim then douse his cloak of many colors and blood and bring it to their father, who then uh, mourned his son uh, for, for, for all those years. Okay.